Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hello, love. Happy Tuesday if you are listening to this on a Tuesday, and if not, I hope you're having a great day of the week wherever you're at. I was really excited to record this intro when I saw the guest that was lined up to release this week. This is a great episode, you guys. Um, We are talking all about our relationship with alcohol and drinking, and my guest today is Sarah Cook who is a business coach, speaker, YouTuber, and blogger. She's on a mission to encourage others to break free of any societal pressures and norms that we feel we need to adhere to and create our own rules for the life we know to be true for us. Sarah mixes both strategic elements of business with the spiritual to help women define what success looks like for them and create their unique path to get there. Sarah has been an entrepreneur for eight years since she was in college and has been sober from alcohol for almost two years. I so appreciate Sarah and her vulnerability in this conversation. She's amazing. We we start out by diving into her personal body image story, her relationship with food, and then we really unpack her relationship with alcohol and why she chose sobriety. And we, we talk a little bit about some of the nuances of, of drinking, uh, a lot of the things that we just aren't talking about very much in our female friendships and in our, our social groups, um, what alcohol looks like at different stages of life, particularly college, moving into adulthood, why we use it. And it's just such a timely conversation. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to recently who have told me, I feel like I'm drinking more in quarantine. And I'm actually one of them. I feel like I, I've been drinking a little bit more uh, than I normally do in quarantine. And I actually, I'm at a place with my personal relationship with alcohol where I, I'm enjoying it. It feels, it feels good to just be enjoying a cocktail or a glass of wine or two here and there. Um, and I'm, I'm also very aware of why I'm choosing that. And for me personally, right now, it's, it's just a way to break up things and escape almost, which might be looked at as an unhelpful unhealthy way to cope through the need to escape and variety in life, but it's not my only tool, that's for sure. And so I'm really grateful to be at a place where it's just one of many things that I can use to actually um, jazz up my life a little bit. However, it was not always that way. It was not always that way at all. I really had a a pretty tumultuous relationship with alcohol for a long time. It fed into my binge eating a lot. It was a part of the vicious cycle, particularly in college. Um, And I I talk about that with Sarah as well, too. We were definitely in the same camp with a lot of our experiences. And so it was really refreshing to be able to just 
share with somebody else who kind of gets it. And I have a feeling that whether you're living through this right now or you've been there before, you will most likely be able to relate to a lot of pieces of this conversation just around food, body, alcohol, um, relationships in general, and how alcohol ties people together. And so I am going to roll right into the interview from here. And before I do, I just wanted to quickly mention, if you haven't left a review yet, I would really, really appreciate it. It would make my day. Um, and it's purely for the reason that when you leave a review, this message has the capability of getting out to more women who need to hear it. And anytime I record these interviews, anytime I record these intros, it's just my intention. It's so heavy on my heart that these conversations are going to land with women who need to hear them at a time where it resonates with them and they do feel supported and they do feel heard and they do feel understood. And so by hitting five stars or however many stars you you feel um, comfortable leaving or any type of written review, you are a part of that. You're a part of this movement in really women supporting women, um, just destigmatizing conversations around food and body and having real talk and real opportunities to elaborate and illuminate on some of these topics that we, we really dive into in this podcast, like alcohol. So Thank you so much for supporting. Thank you for being you and showing up. I just adore you. I love spending time with you. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation with the lovely Sarah Cook. Hi, Sarah. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so great. And I am so grateful for you coming on and having this conversation with me today. I'm really excited because even though we know each other, this is a part of your life that I'm becoming familiar with. So I'm, I'm really excited and so grateful for you coming and spending some time with us this morning. I'm so excited to be here. I love doing podcasts. Uh, I have my own. I've taken a break. I've been thinking about starting it again, but um, I just love getting on the mic and chatting. It's, it's yeah. so healing and fun and I like listening to podcasts too. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's a major form of therapy for me and yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we can both agree on that. And I'm, I'm so excited to jump in. Are you ready to get started? Yes, let's do this. All right, let's do it. So I always ask everybody the same question when they come on, when they come on. So can you just start by sharing your first body awareness moment? So that moment that you realized, hey, I'm in a body and this means something in the culture that I live in, good, bad, or indifferent? Yeah. I mean, I think really what sticks out to me, there's probably honestly earlier situations um, where I felt that awareness, but the one that really sticks out to me is when I was a gymnast um, and I was I mean, I don't, I, I had been taking gymnastics ever since I was young, but where I think I really started to become more aware was kind of in that preteen stage where you're kind of going through puberty and your body's really starting to change and Mm -hmm. just, oh, all the feelings and, um, you know, doing gymnastics, especially in a really like in the summertime in a really hot gym, I mean, you are just in like this 
skimpiest thing you can basically wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt so big in those outfits. Like I just felt um, not like the other little tiny gymnast girls. Um, there's definitely like that notorious stature of gymnasts. Um, and I definitely felt a lot bigger than them. And then also like my mom has always had a very athletic build and has been always pretty naturally thin. Um, and you know, my dad's side all the same way, which is like super ironic because they all eat like crap and they don't exercise. And I don't know if that's a very, um, body positive thing to say, but like they really (laughs) do not, you know, they're just not very conscious with their eating at all. But, like, they're all, like, super thin and all this stuff. And so I kind of always felt like, where the heck did I come from? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I felt like I didn't have the physique of my mom. I didn't have the physique of the women in my dad's family. And it made me kind of feel, um, I don't know, I didn't really like it. You know, I I I didn't feel great. I didn't feel like this dainty little thing that I felt like everybody else was experiencing. And where I was most, like, exposed, you know, I was always comparing myself to the other gymnasts. Um, Now I have a totally different relationship with my body. You know, of course, I have those moments. But um, I definitely do remember that, like, really kind of struggling with that, not feeling super confident and just, you know, feeling awkward at that age. Yeah, I can so relate. I was a gymnast, too, actually. And... It's, uh, it's actually a pretty common theme for a lot of women who come on the show to have competed in some type of aesthetic sport growing up, whether it's dance or swimming or gymnastics or ice skating or something along those lines where, yeah, your body is just, it's so obviously on display to feel judged and um, to really easily pass judgment on on yourself too how old were you um I would guess like 12 mm-hmm. 11 13, yeah yeah kind of that area yeah so when you were experiencing that and starting to have those those body thoughts and also just what you mentioned before of where the heck did I come from? I don't really feel like I fit in. How did you cope with that? Did you feel like it was something that you could express with your group of friends at that time? Or did you kind of stuff it down silently and just um, find other alternatives to, to deal with the emotions coming up? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think I really talked about it. Um, I think it was always just more of an envious feeling and almost like something was wrong with me mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't tiny. Um, I will say that like my dad's grandma or my dad's mom. So my grandma, my dad's side and my mom and my maternal grandmother, I mean like kind of the big matriarchal, um, you know, roles in my life. They never made me feel like I definitely didn't. I always felt very accepted and, um, like it was okay Mm -hmm. from them. So that was really helpful. I think, you know, I'm not someone that struggled a ton with body image. Um, but that was, you know, just kind of this feeling of not feeling like I belonged. Mm -hmm. 
really how it kind of manifested, I think. Yeah. And did you feel like you had any kind of camaraderie in on your gymnastics team? Like, were there any other girls that you were competing with that had the same kind of thoughts that you could share openly around? Or did you feel like it was the same situation there where you were feeling a little isolated and ostracized? No, I definitely felt ostracized. Mm. I did not feel, yeah, I did not feel part of that. And also my cousin was a gymnast and my cousin is Filipino, half Mm. Filipino. And so she just naturally is very petite. Mm -hmm. And so then there was that, like, oh my God, that's Sarah's, like, I would think that they were thinking like, oh my God, how is that Sarah's cousin? Mm -hmm. You know, they're nothing alike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I can so, um, I can so relate to that in, in certain ways. And I think that it's a really powerful example of just coming into this chapter of your life. That's so incredibly pivotal, especially as a woman where all of these things are changing and feeling like, like you mentioned, just like you don't belong and like you're from you're from a different family almost and things like that. So, so what did you do? How did you, how how did you move forward when you started having those thoughts come up? Were you finding different ways to manipulate food or was, was there any restriction going on? How were you um, finding ways to love your body or manipulate your body? You know, I think I just, so for me, there was actually no restricting, restricting or binging or anything. I think actually it was more like, well, this is what it is and I don't really like it, you know, but this is, so I never actually really tried to control it. It was more just like, I'm kind of like, this is who I am, Mm -hmm. you know, I, um, and then as I got older, I started to realize that I actually do have power around my health and so I had like a big I don't know if you want to jump this far ahead but like I kind of had a big weight loss moment two years into college Mm. um and it was a very healthy thing because basically um I was probably a healthy weight in high school and then I went to college and just I mean I went to college and Mm -hmm. gained I don't know, probably 40, 50 pounds. Um, and actually went through a breakup and really that summer decided like, I'm going to prioritize myself and just really dedicated myself to working out every single day, um, following guidelines for the food that I was eating, but there was no restriction. It was just you know, you can have the fries, but maybe don't order like two baskets of them with cheese and bacon. Like Mm -hmm. you just have one basket, you know? And, um, that was actually, so that's my story. Like I never, because I didn't struggle with restriction at all. It was actually the complete opposite where Mm -hmm. I let myself have whatever I wanted. (laughs) And I wasn't, I didn't feel good. Like I didn't feel physically good, mentally good. Yeah. Um, so it was actually, instead of me going, Oh, this is, you know, I'm just like the person that has the extra pounds on them that they don't really like. Like for once in my life, I was like, I can actually do something about this and it can be healthy and it can be like enjoyable. And then I started to love working out and I looked forward to it and I looked forward to making healthier choices for me. 
Um, so that was actually kind of like the reverse where I was never restricting, but that also wasn't really loving myself. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really curious to unpack that a little bit more. Can I ask a couple more questions leading up to that? What was your relationship with food like growing up then in your family? Like what did food mean to you and how did you guys use food as a family when you were growing up? Yeah. I mean, so I actually think I've done a lot of reflection on this and I actually think that my mom and my dad did a really great job with this. Mm. Um, no food was forbidden. Mm. We could have anything. Um, but we were also given a wide variety of things and, you know, every single meal had vegetables. Um, I don't know. It's just very well balanced. Mm -hmm. Like, so, but I think there were unhealthier patterns in kind of the extended family of both sides of my family. Interesting. Um, Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, you know, my mom's mom definitely, you know, had weight issues, things like that. And, um, it was very much just like the, you know, well, it's treating yourself, you know, like you got to treat yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just seemed like my mom had maybe a little bit of a more balanced understanding of that where it wasn't like treating yourself means you just get to eat whatever you want all the time, Mm -hmm. um, to where it actually is detrimental and probably not even really what you want. It's more kind of your default. Yeah. That's a fine. It's interesting. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's where it is. Um, you know, I always say with clients, emotional hunger and actual physical hunger, um, that's where it can get a little foggy sometimes. And emotional hunger is, is totally fine, but really understanding which is which can be the hard part sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I think my dad's side of the family really, um, there's definitely a theme of, I mean, I remember people asking me all the time, Oh, did you lose weight? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a big value on that side of the family is, you know, the weight loss and diets and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I really do feel for the most part knowing all the people I know and all of my friends and, you know, just, I do think I had a pretty healthy relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was more about really and truly as I got older, I just, I discovered what everything meant to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, really like what was my relationship with drinking? What was my relationship with exercising? I mean, the exercising is like not something that people did in my family on either side, except for my mom. My mom always took really long walks and that was something that I adapted. And that was interesting because I never thought I'm going to go take a walk to lose weight. Mm. I was like, I'm going to take a walk because I like to take walks because we live in such a pretty neighborhood and it helps me clear my mind. And it's like what we do. So... You know, I think that's actually, because that's the way that I look at exercise now. I don't look at exercises. Oh my God, I got to do this because I ate this last night. It's like, 
no, I want to do this because I'm going to feel so amazing. I love that. Yeah. That intuitive yeah. movement. That's, that's so important. Did you feel yeah. like that when you were in gymnastics too? Did you feel like the... Oh, hell no. Oh, you didn't. Interesting. I hated it. It was hard. I hated conditioning. Oh my God. I oh, hated it. Me too. I, I was in gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what the heck like kept me there because I really like didn't like a lot of it. Um, I think I liked the more creative expression part of it. Uh-huh. And I would look at the more successful gymnasts and really like be in awe. I've always wanted to be a figure skater. I love dancing. Oh, you know? so I definitely. Me too. You know, I have that inclination for sure. Um, but no, I mean, doing hard things and like pushing yourself, like, we are not the 5k family. We are not the 10k family. We are not like, we don't do that kind of stuff, you know, like so yeah. that just was not the culture. And now it's so funny because both my boyfriend and I were not raised that way at all. Um, you know, weren't really raised like super outdoorsy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And now we're just, we're like every weekend we're hiking. And, mm. Um, yeah. You know, we want to buy kayaks. We just moved to Maine. So we're like, we want to buy kayaks. And we want to buy bikes. I'm like, holy crap, we don't have enough money for all the stuff that we want to buy to do outdoor <laughs> you know, activity. But it's so funny because, like, that was not something that we grew up with. That was something that we had to kind of reinvent and discover mm. about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's really – and you grew up in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. So it, I've only been to Pittsburgh once or twice. It it's not super outdoorsy, is it? Like, no. is, okay. So I grew up in, in Orlando, Florida and it was, it was the same. It was pretty similar. There was not a yeah. lot to do outside. And now we live in California and there's so much to do outside. And so, yeah, yeah I, I can so relate to that. And I think it's so cool that you've been able to really embrace that intuitive, joyful movement for yourself. And yeah make it a part of your life now in a way that feels really, really good. Um, I have another question about your, your relationship in college, if it's okay. Totally. Yeah. So it just, it, it makes me a little curious when you were talking about getting that subliminal reinforcement from your dad's side of your family growing up and just the, the feedback of, um, you know, weight loss or perhaps even, the comments that you didn't get sometimes maybe at, at different gatherings and things like that and having that just be a part of the conversation. So I'm wondering when you broke up with your boyfriend in college, do you feel like there was any of that lingering perfection of needing to make a change to get that attention you know, honestly, maybe, but I actually look at it as the best thing that ever happened to me because that boyfriend was super toxic. He was a drug addict. He cheated on me. Um, it was a very, very, and I, I see why I was entwined with him. I mean, he was my high school sweetheart. He, I see why we were enmeshed the way that we were enmeshed because it was an old codependent pattern. Yeah. Um, alcoholism is very prevalent in my family. And so a lot of codependency and, you know, caretaking and stuff like that is in me because that was what was modeled. And 
I actually think the weight loss thing was more like, no, I'm doing me. Like, I'm worrying about you anymore, you know, because really and truly, like, I wasn't trying to go find another guy Mm -hmm. after that. I had no desire. I was very heartbroken. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not where my mind was at. My mind was like, I want to enjoy my life. I've wasted a lot of time with this person and I want to just feel good. I want to be healthy. I want to make the most of the day. You know, I think that's kind of where it was coming from. Um, yeah. You know, because it, well, it's interesting too, though, because what ended up happening was that I got with my now boyfriend um, and we've been together for a long time, eight years. And um, he was my, my random roommate, my freshman year's brother. Oh my gosh. So, Yes, and she and I are still best friends. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, so, like, and how that happened was I went to their Easter after I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, and I went to her family's Easter, and I saw him, and I've been around him. I've partied with him all the things a million times, and I just saw him in this different light and was like, oh, my God, I'm in love with this person. Like, I really knew right away. Wow. And we didn't get together probably for another six or seven months but like it wasn't this like oh my god I gotta get skinny so healthy yeah well I oh god I appreciate you clarifying that because I think that a lot of times especially now with like the Khloe Kardashian revenge body culture um yes we we so often identify breakups with weight loss to kind of say like, screw you. I'm, you know, I'm doing me in this way that's attracting a certain type of male gaze or, or something along those lines. Right. But for you, it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like it was more of this empowerment for yourself, completely detaching and just stepping into your own skin in a way that felt really good and nourishing and, and healthy for you. That and, like, I mean, just the other thing, like, we were both from the same town. And so, you know, in the summer, we'd be back in our same hometown. And so I was used to constantly being with him and constantly having something to do. Well, I didn't have that anymore. Mm. Part of it was boredom, too. Yeah. Part of it was, like, I don't really have anything else to do. And... I mean, honestly, like, that's how I want to be spending my time. If I don't have stuff on the agenda, I want to be moving my body and, like, reading and doing things that are good for me, you know, over, you know, I don't even know if dating apps existed back then, but just kind of, like, mindlessly doing things like that that Mm -hmm. had no interest to me. So I think it was that, too. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because I got together with Ronnie, who's my current boyfriend, and I mean, I gained it pretty much all back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did. I did. And then again, and then I, you know, I rediscovered the relate, but that's because I had a lot of really unhealed things too, Mm -hmm. which of course we can talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's start to shift the conversation in that direction. I, because I think that that's a really, well, first of all, and you know, just statistically 90 for 95% of weight loss is regained in five years. And so it's, yeah. And so it's really not surprising to hear. However, I'm curious to see how 
healing some of those emotional wounds like you're like we're about to start talking about is related yeah. because it sounds like your body was craving to move back to that set point weight to that like happy weight where you're thriving you're really energized and feeling good without doing a lot of work or restricting um yeah. but if those emotional wounds aren't healed then it really it can feel tumultuous in terms of that that yo-yo cycling right so yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. What what do you feel like are yeah. some things that you discovered that you needed to work on and work through um, in terms of just em- well, emotions or, or things in your life? Yeah, I mean, um, at the time, I mean, this has been going on for years, but my parents were separating and a lot of it started coming to a head when I started dating Ronnie Mm -hmm. and a lot of things were being brought to the light that I actually specifically like, I mean, big things were being, you know, made into my awareness about my family and about my parents. And I mean, I actually blocked it out. Like I truly remember being like, Oh, I didn't hear that. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Nope. Like straight up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, at the time I didn't realize like you're just kind of numbing out, Mm -hmm. but I can look back now and, you know, I did nothing for myself. I ate like crap. You know, I was in a new relationship with a guy that really likes to eat like crap too. So (laughs) and I'm sorry if that's not not the best phrase, but I don't really consider French onion dip and chips as lunch and then the Chinese buffet as the second lunch and pizza. Like it just wasn't serving us, right? Yeah. But like we both had those tendencies and so you put us together and we're happy and we're not judging each other and we just really love each other. It's yeah. like let's go all out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and so you know, I was just basically numbing out and it's really interesting because I was, I was drinking a lot and alcoholism does run in my family. And, um, I was actually really depressed. So when I, I graduated college and I went and I moved in with Ronnie, he was living in a different city. And so I went and I lived with him and I was just so depressed. I was really at a low, low, low point. Mm -hmm. I was just constantly crying. I mean, I remember I bought my first ever new car Mm. And I cried on the whole way there and the whole way back. It's like, who buys a new car and is like crying, like out of sadness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that just showed me I wasn't okay. Yeah. And so I went to the doctor, went to my uh, primary care. And I mean, she walks in, talks to me for three seconds. And the next thing you know, they're like, you are, we're going to put you on Prozac Mm -hmm. and it, definitely could make you suicidal so if your boyfriend has guns you know he needs to get them out of the house and oh wow I'm just I mean I walked out of there and had a wake-up call like whoa yeah. I'm not even suicidal I'm, I'm depressed I need help but I'm not suicidal you know like I, why would I take a medication that would potentially make me suicidal if I don't even feel like that right now right and um so then I it was just kind of this wake-up call of like whoa what, what am I doing here? And so I did start seeing a therapist and that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back on it now and I talk about this all the time. If they would have just asked me, how much are you drinking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much, are, what's your eating like? Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with your family? Mm-hmm. Do you have friends here? If they would have asked me those things, 
God. Those were the issues. Yeah. Those, I didn't need a pill. Yeah. I needed to work through things. I needed to eat better and treat my body better. I needed to move my body. Mm -hmm. I needed to stop drinking so much, but none of that was addressed. And so really I got to a point where I just needed something and my friend invited me to a hot yoga class. And again, this goes back to like, I hated working out. I hated being hot, all of the things. Mm-hmm. And so she invites me to this hot yoga class. And I'm like, that sounds literally horrible because I hate yoga and I hate being hot, <laughs> but I'll go. I went and I, it was hard and I was miserable and I hated it. But there was this little part of me that was like, I feel a little bit better. Mm. So I went back again. And, and then I started to realize, like, this is a beautiful healing thing for me because it was in a dark room mm-hmm. with super loud music. So I could just turn off my thoughts and just, like, be in my body. Mm-hmm. And I started to learn, like, I started to actually, I started to feel like that gymnast I always wanted to be. Oh, my right? gosh. Like, I love that. You know, I started to feel physically able to do things. And so, again, it was not, let me go to Melt Hot Fitness so I can lose 10 pounds. It was, uh, it's fun there. I have fun there. It's my escape. It's where I get to forget about all this bullshit in my life that I can't control. Yeah. You know, because a lot of what I was dealing with, I couldn't control. I couldn't control what was going on with my family or, you know, any of it. And so it was my really healthy escape. And so I started, that's when people started asking me, Hey, are you losing weight again? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I am. And like, that was the thing. I was so disconnected from trying to lose weight Mm. that I didn't even notice. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, I guess I, I guess this is fitting a little bit more loosely. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of my health journey, but again, it was always everything that I put in my body and anything I did exercise wise was to feel a feeling. It was not to, and like to feel a positive feeling. Sure. Sure. So, um, and then eventually like it was a sobriety thing. So I'm sober now. I've been sober for almost two years, but it was just kind of this little voice in my head, like kind of telling me it was time to let it go. And and I didn't want to mm-hmm. at all. I mean, I think that's the thing people think like big changes, you're all in and all excited. And no, I did not want to give up drinking at all. Um, but it was, I knew it was my coping mechanism and it mm-hmm. was not a healthy coping mechanism. There were a lot of things that I needed to work through and heal and make peace with. And I used drinking to cover it up. Mm. And so when I t- took that away, I was basically forced to deal with things And it's the best thing I could have ever done for myself. And now I'm like, I just quit caffeine. Well, I didn't quit caffeine. I do drink tea, but I mean, I quit coffee, which like, you would have asked me a year ago, are you going to quit coffee? I'd be like, never. That's my only vice left at this point. And now like, because, and why I quit caffeine is because now I'm so tuned into my body that my body literally told me like, oh, you're feeling crappy. And it's because of caffeine. It's like a new, like the coffee girlfriend you gotta let it go I know you like it but you keep feeling horrible every day you keep having crashes it's the caffeine yeah but that's the power of like being on the long haul journey of like learning about your body because then it like pretty much just tells you it's so true yeah Yeah. 
Sarah, I really appreciate you opening up about this because I I don't know if we've had a guest who um, has has opened up about holistic health in this way, especially from a mental health perspective, and it's just such an important conversation. And um, I think that holistic health, it still gets like that woo-woo gaze sometimes, um, but my God, it's so important. And unfortunately, you hit the nail on the head. Most of the time, we're just looking at one single aspect of our health, um, particularly when we go to the doctor. And that's absolutely not throwing Western medical doctors or Eastern medical doctors under the bus. We need both, absolutely 100%. But there's so much more to the equation. And just like you said, it's your mental wellness, it's your emotional wellness, it's your relationships, it's your food, your uh, alcohol consumption, your uh, happiness in your everyday life, just the things that are bringing you joy, movement, all of these things. It's just such a beautiful puzzle that we have to start talking more. And this is a really great example of it. So I'm just so appreciative of you painting the picture for everybody. And also, in such an intuitive way as well for you coming back to your body in such a powerful and, um, yeah, intuitive approach. I just, I don't, I really try to not do anything because I should, or, you know, this is what these people are doing. I mean, to be completely honest with you, like I see everybody and their mother eating kale and you know what happens to me when I eat kale? I'm in the bathroom in five seconds. Yeah. So, my digestive system doesn't like kale, mm-hmm. so therefore we don't really eat kale, you know, like, and I think the only way that you can do that is by paying attention to how your body reacts to things and how your mind reacts to things and like, yeah, actually taking note of it and then honoring that instead of, oh, I have to eat kale because everybody who's healthy eats kale, you know? Totally. Well, and I also think that just based on what you shared about your your story and your family history with food and body, it is it makes complete sense to me that you would move into intuitive eating without really having to um, do a lot of unlearning because it doesn't really sound like there were a ton of rules around food uh, in your life no, at that point. I'm, yeah, I'm that it's I, amazing. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, definitely give my parents credit for that well and yourself and yourself too you know that's one of the biggest challenges when I work with clients in the intuitive eating process is we are just inundated with all of these subconscious rules around food and that's the very first principle um, you know rejecting diet mentality and unlearning those rules so that we have a neutral playing ground with food so that we can really start to understand what feels good in our body and how to listen to our body. But wow, what an, what a privilege for you to be able to move into that without the unlearning period. Um, and especially with everything else going on, it just seemed so perfectly timed for you. I'm curious about your decision for sobriety and I can so relate to that. So if you don't mind, can you paint the picture around, that choice and what led you to that ultimate decision and any of the intuition around, around making that? Yeah. So, I mean, really it was 
something where I was so tortured around drinking for so long, um, constantly questioning, is this normal? Is this okay? Do other people do this? Mm. Am I drinking too much? So this, and this is something that, I mean, I'm going to beat the drum on. So if you guys want to follow me, like I, I just need to talk about this more and more. I really do like, because I think it's super important. Yeah. Um, say it girl. I was, I was not the stereotypical, you have a problem. So I think there's a couple of different, like, so first off, we look at the guy on the street that has the bottle in the bag and is homeless and we judge him. Mm -hmm. And my thing with that is like, he got there somehow. And when he was 25, I bet he was this really cute, fun, loving guy that just, you know, kind of went a little crazy on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you keep that going and the, the turning point is not a sudden shift. It's a gradual. And then the next thing, you know, that's where you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I don't think people want to talk about that because then it makes them go, well, shit, what are you saying? I'm going to become a homeless person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, but that's what I, that's the conversation that I was having with myself. At what point does this turn into you have a full blown drinking problem? You are an alcoholic. You are, going to have to go to rehab you're going to have to detox Mm -hmm. um and so the other thing too is like you know what we are normally seeing or like who we're saying has a problem is that girl that you know goes out and you know just takes shot after shot and can't handle herself and goes home with some random guy that's kind of the profile that we have for a girl like a young girl that has a drinking problem and that was not me at all Mm -hmm. I was somebody that rarely went out and that's because when I drink I really become a shell of myself and I am not very social and and I'm pretty introverted like honestly we had a couple people over this weekend and I was like okay that was that was enough like yeah um (laughs) even though I was you know completely sober and have been sober for a long time so I think it was a combination of like I am just more introverted yeah and I was having some mental health issues and things like that and so you know, it's not like I was going out drinking and having fun with a bunch of people. I was sitting at home, downing a bottle of wine, mindlessly watching The Real Housewives. Mm. And like, what, what what kind of life is that? Every once in a while, we have those numbing out nights. You know, I get it. But mm. that was like a pretty common occurrence for me. Yeah. What? And how so, old were you when you started drinking? Oh, I, I mean... You know, I probably started drinking when I was 15. Okay. But it wasn't – I was not a heavy drinker in high school. Mm-hmm. Where I went to school, high school, it wasn't a super prevalent thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say most of my friends that I met in college had way more of a drinking history than I did. Um, but then when I went to college, I mean, it was just game on. Yeah. Like, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was definitely a lot of binge drinking and um, well, covering up my eating disorder and fueling my eating disorder at that time too. So I, I can definitely relate to the coping uh, mechanism of of alcohol. What was it like with your family? Were they big drinkers growing up? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I have a parent who's an alcoholic, mm-hmm. so. Yes, a hundred percent. Okay, um, so it runs in the family. Thinking, I mean, alcoholism is a very big thing on both sides of my family. Okay, and you know, it's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about, mm-hmm. but the writing's on the wall. 
And that's kind of what's fueled me is when are we going to like, when are we going to talk about this and when are we going to heal this? Because, you know, this is, this is really messing up our whole family. Well, and yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You finish your thought. Oh, I have no idea now. (laughs) honestly I was getting a little bit choked up like saying that so this is good interrupt me interrupt me well I was just yeah that was that's hard for me to talk about still yeah I I can feel that absolutely I I'm curious I know that so many women are going to listen to this and feel that thought come up of how do I know when it's too much? And how do I know if this is a problem? How do I know if I need to scale back? What is healthy drinking versus unhealthy drinking? What would you say to them? How, how would somebody be begin to start identifying that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like you have to ask yourself, do I want to keep giving so much energy to thinking like to wondering if this is okay? Mm that's what it came down to for me. Like, this is exhausting. Wondering if this is okay. I mean, many people in my family, when I quit, were like, why? You Mm. didn't have a problem. Why? I mean, I thought you, like somebody said to me, I thought you really enjoyed having a glass of wine. I'm like, uh, yeah, I loved having a bottle of wine Mm -hmm. and loved it. And that's why I'm stopping <laughs> because I love it mm-hmm. a lot, you know? And so people will even say that to me now, like, what do you ever think you'll, you could just have a drink here or there? And I'm like, but that wouldn't be what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I let myself have alcohol again, I'd have a bottle a night. Yeah. I'd be going to the grocery store, stocking up for the next couple nights. Mm-hmm. I'd be having it at three o'clock because I can, because I work for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just there. And what annoys me about the way that people talk about alcohol is they act like it's not a highly addictive substance and it is a highly addictive substance and everybody can be a victim to it. Right. It doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, where you're from, blah, 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 blah. It's a highly addictive substance and anybody can fall victim victim to it. And so it's like, you know, I just made the decision. I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to wait and see. That's kind of where I was at. Like, I don't want to wait and see if I turn out like this person and this person and this person, Mm. because those people are not doing well, you know, and they're, they're, they're risking their lives. And these are people that are related to me. You know, this is not arbitrary people. These are people that are related to me. And I think it's important to talk about this because I think a lot of people in my family act like this isn't real Mm. but it is real you know and and we it's hard to talk about and you're not trying to throw anybody under the bus but the only way to prevent more people from completely destroying their lives losing their lives and us losing loved ones because of alcohol by actually stopping the cycle of drinking and normalizing drinking. So, you know what? I might be the super lame parent if I ever have kids who's like the sober parent and like totally, you know, I mean, I'll let my kids, my kids are going to go do what they're going to do. Right. But my thing is like, I don't want to model that drinking every day is normal for my children because that's how it stops. Yeah. That's how it stops. 
Yeah, I so appreciate you sharing that. What what was your biggest um what was the breakthrough moment for you around that? Do you remember that final thought of this is my last day drinking or was it gradual for you? Was there something that happened that really propelled you to to make that final choice? Yeah. So I've been thinking about it for a while and I used to kind of say to my boyfriend, like, maybe I just need to be sober. Like hangover suck. Like that. Mm. I definitely been thinking about it. Um, but really like what was the big defining moment was, and it was nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, this is something, this is another place I had been. Right. But it was when my boyfriend and I were traveling, we traveled the country for a year and a half and it was pretty early in to our travels actually. And we went out, we were down in Austin, Texas, and we went out with this cousin and this cousin's girlfriend. And I woke up the next morning and I mean, I just felt horrendous. Mm. I felt horrible. Mm -hmm. And we went to brunch and we had stayed at their house. So I didn't have a toothbrush. I didn't have a change of clothes. I had nothing. So I like reek of alcohol. I feel like crap. It's like a hundred degrees. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, I smell like booze. I'm sweating. Like, and you know, like the booze sweats. Like, this Mm -hmm. isn't just like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just was like... And I mean, honestly, the other thing was I was always pointing the finger at the alcoholics in my family. Like, you need to get help. And Mm -hmm. you need to go to rehab. and Mm -hmm. And then I was like you need to point the finger at yourself. Mm. You need to stop pointing the finger at everybody else. Look at what you're doing. It's not really much different Mm -hmm. and give yourself some time and it could get worse. Right. And all you can really control is yourself. So I had to just get super humble with myself and be like, you have a problem. Yeah. And that's so hard for me to say. I don't like to say that I was an alcoholic. I I don't like it. My ego doesn't like it, Mm. but the truth is it was not good for me. And so that day, I, we were driving back to his uncle's house. We were staying with his uncle and I said, you know, I think maybe I need to be sober. Mm. And then I was literally so sick and so hungover that they had this huge steak dinner that night and like, you know, went all out, had this amazing night and I didn't go because I felt so sick. Mm. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm missing a great evening with people that I care about because I'm hungover. Yeah. But it's stupid. And like the last thing that I'll say is I kind of forgot to mention this when I was pointing the fingers at everybody in my family. I always thought I want to be on podcasts. I want to be on stage talking about addiction and families. But I don't have a problem. I can still drink, but I'm going to like talk about how everybody else has a problem. Yeah. And then I'm like, that's not going to be an integrity. I can't go on a stage and talk about the alcoholism that ran rapid in my family and then get off the stage and drink a bottle of wine. Yeah. That's not really going to work. I was actually going to ask you that, Sarah, because I, for everybody listening, Sarah has her own business and she's a business coach and she's also a speaker and travels all over the world giving these amazing talks. And I was wondering if this decision uh, was tied to any like bigger vision of what you wanted to do with with your business and just your, your mission and your purpose in the world and everything. And so that's, that's super interesting. A hundred percent. I mean, I knew I had to, it was, I, and again, like if you take anything from this, I didn't want to do it. 
Like, I did not want to be sober. Yeah. It's like a death. Well, why? What was the hardest part? What what was the most challenging part about being sober for you? Because I think everybody probably has a different reason. It was my identity. Yeah. It was my identity. Mm. It was what I did. It was what I, it was my hobby. It was my interest. What are your interests? Wine. Wine is not a hobby, y'all. Like, (laughs) wine is a beverage, you know? I am not judging, like, I'm really not, but it's hard for me to not get on this high horse because the culture around drinking is so warped and I, I see the other side of it, you know, and I just want that for people. It's like, no, like now I have real hobbies. Like I like to hike and I like to garden and I like to read, but I didn't know any of that about myself because I was so messed up mentally and I just kept drinking it away. Yeah. I mean, I had nothing that I did that I actually liked and felt passionate about or cared about or thought was fun. Mm-hmm. My enjoyment out of life was getting drunk. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, when you take that away, what do you have? It's scary. Yeah. Did your boyfriend stop drinking as well? Or does he still, does he still drink now? No, no. So he still drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always like something that I, we definitely, a lot of people ask me about, Um, he has a different relationship with alcohol. He's very take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. He also does have alcoholism in his family. Mm -hmm. Um, but he just has a very, very different relationship with it. Mm. And I'm okay with that. You know, most 95%, 97, 95, 97% of people in my family or in my life drink. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? Um, I know I'm going to get so many questions about this. I'd love to just yeah. Brainstorm with you if you're open yeah. to it. So, okay. So if somebody's hearing this conversation and thinking, I, I want to take that step. I want to take the first step towards sobriety. I know that it's something that I need to do. What would you recommend for somebody who knows that they need to make that decision to be able to just take that really courageous step? What do they need to yeah. know? Well, I, so actually it's interesting that you asked this because I, for the longest time had no interest in like coaching around sobriety because I am a business coach and um, I had no real interest in like any of that. And I think it was a bit of a fear, you know, am I, am I good enough to, to hold space for people and things like that? So something that actually my friend and I have just started is a 30 day alcohol free experiment oh, wow. or experience, whatever you want to call it. And it's just a container where women can come and we might start opening it to men too, where women can come in and just, it's super low cost. Like this last round was $59. It's just kind of hold, to hold you a little bit accountable and it's 30 days and it's a Facebook group. And we just, we try to hold you in that space and in that possibility and encourage you and give you tips and tricks. And mm-hmm. so I say that because I have that now. And if anybody's interested, you know, I can give you the information. Yeah. Um, we will link it for sure. Yeah. We can definitely link it. But like, honestly, why I'm saying that is because I think community is really big. Yeah. Getting where you can get in a place where you're, you don't feel like an alien because otherwise you will feel like an alien, especially if you're around everybody that drinks, right? So you got to create the new normal for yourself and get around people who are sober and get around people that are sober and are loving life and like you look up to. And, you know, so for me, I didn't have anything like that right away. But what I did have was I started following some bloggers and some YouTubers mm-hmm. and just some people that were sober just to kind of 
feel like I had friends, you know, like they weren't my, I was reading their blog, but I just felt like, okay, look, this person's cool and normal. I mean, I thought I was going to be like, like, I thought I wasn't going to be cool anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if I stopped drinking. So just like seeing these people like living life and like still going on vacation and still having relationships and still like going out to dinner. It was just this sense of normalcy. Like, Oh, they can still be normal. Yeah. Because I didn't think it was like, I didn't even think I could be normal. Right. That was my biggest fear. I think that's a lot of people's fear. I, and I think that's what prevents a lot of people from taking that step. So what uh, taking that step, what, do you do when you're in a social situation now that you don't drink and especially at the beginning of, of this new chapter for yourself, how did you navigate those feelings? What do you drink when you're out? What are some things that you do to just normalize the situation? Yeah. So, I mean, really and truly what I have found is that stopping drinking. And I think that also anybody that has dealt with eating disorders or anything like that. When you start to truly nurture yourself with, you know, healthy eating patterns or healthy exercise, or for me, when I started to nurture myself by not drinking, to me, it almost felt like I was my own parent, like really like nurturing myself, like really like kind of like cradling myself, right? Like rocking myself to sleep almost. And so I had this sense when I was in public settings and not drinking of like, you're so taken care of. Like, you're going to leave here. You're going to be clear headed. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to wake up, not come over. You're safe. You're not going to drive after drinking. Yeah. You know, things like that. So that's what I tried to kind of focus on was like how safe and cared for I was Mm -hmm. by doing those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, this sounds judgmental, but I say it all the time because it's true. Like you've got to kind of look around at everybody. If you're at a place where a lot of people are drinking and just think about how crappy they're going to feel the next day and how they're not really going to remember a lot of what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's not really all that exciting. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, so kind of like just seeing things clearly, I think is big. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think like do whatever you need to do. If it feels too triggering to be around people who are drinking, then don't go or have an exit plan, bring your own ride. Or if somebody takes you like make sure they're down with leaving early. Um, I do say bring some drinks. So you have something special to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. People always say like, you save money in sobriety because you're not drinking alcohol. Like, <laughs> I didn't because I allowed myself to just buy the most bougie drinks at Whole Foods. Right. I know. There's so so many delicious um, alcohol-free cocktails or uh, mocktails now that are so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Get into that, you know? Yeah. This is really, this is really important. And this is also, I think, going to resonate with so many women listening to this because very often when we are struggling with our relationship with food in some capacity, especially for a lot of the girls that are listening in who struggle with binge eating and emotional eating, the things that I really speak to specifically, alcohol is a part of the equation in some way, especially around binge eating. Um, And a lot of times we don't even really recognize it. And so whether or not you're hearing this and thinking I need to step away 
cold turkey from alcohol or I just need to start looking at it differently in my life and being a little bit more mindful in terms of how it's connected to my relationship with my body and food. This is a really, really important conversation to to start having and I just appreciate you speaking up and sharing so vulnerably um, because I don't think that we're talking about it enough. So I, I really appreciate it, Sarah. Of course. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say is like, I talk about it so much because I go back to that girl, you know, eight years ago who had just moved to the new town with her boyfriend and was so depressed and so sad. And I just think a large part of that was the drinking, mm. you know, and what I, th I see it all the time. People that have, depression, anxiety, and they're also just drinking, drinking, drinking. And I'm like, I don't know if it'll fix all of your problems, but I really do think it'll help a lot. Like, yeah. and I just, it, we got to stop normalizing it because it's not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree, love. We, we are, we speak about very similar things. You know, our relationship with, with food is the same. It's really, if we're using it as a coping device, the sole coping device for the real emotional issues that we need to start addressing, um, it's, it's catching us in this vicious cycle. It's really, really challenging to crawl out of. And so I'm just grateful mm -hmm. that you are, you're creating a space for women who want to take that step, who want to get out of the cycle, who know that they need to do this. We'll definitely link, um, link your group to the show notes so that everybody can, um, to, can check it out. Before we go, do you mind if we wrap with some fun questions just to lighten the mood and get to know you a little bit more? Um, great. What's your morning routine? Can you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. So I am like, I actually have an entire blog post on this. I'm kind of like the anti-morning routine person. No. So my morning routine just like constantly changes it's really very intuitive, much like I figured out my relationship with food. It's kind of just like doing a bunch of things and then figuring out what I need in different situations. So just really being in tune with that. Um, some mornings I just wake up and I'm like ready to jump on. Like I just want to start working right away. I have all these ideas firing and I'm excited. Sometimes it's a slower morning. It's like drink my chai tea, read my book. So I really just try to tune into what I need and what's going to support me. But then also knowing that I have these tools throughout the day, if I start feeling really scattered or crazy, you know, I can journal, I can meditate, I can, you know, make like a little plan for the day. So all those things are really helpful. I will say right now that I am actually tuned into, I am committing to 10 minutes of journaling, 10 minutes of meditation and a gratitude practice every morning because I have a lot up in the air right now. So it's providing me some grounding. So that feels good. Awesome. I love that. Do you have an app that you do meditation on or is it just a self-practice? It's just really a self-practice. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. If you were going to switch careers with guaranteed success and joy, what would you do? I think a professor. It would be a professor. <gasps> of what? Well, originally, this is actually really funny that you say this because I was just talking to my coach about this. Um, I was an English uh, major, and so I thought about being an English professor. I don't really know. Like, I'm not actually quite sure what I would teach on. I just love teaching, and I love being in that academic environment. Yeah. I'm not really quite sure. Yeah. I, mean, I really do love academia. I could, I'm super bored. No, I can totally see that for you. And I love that you're a coach 
who is interested in speaking in the educational environment at different college campuses and just different schools. And we've talked about that offline before. So I think it's just, I love this question so much because it just always shows, um, the person in a different light. And I can just see that so much for you. I love it. How do you define self-care? Oh, so I think I actually made a status the other day that said self-care is whatever the F, because I don't know if we're allowed to swear on here, (laughs) whatever the F you want it to be. Yeah. Honestly, I think we have too many rules. Like I see a lot of people putting so many rules and restrictions around self-care. And it's like, that's kind of the whole point. It's again, intuitive. What do you need? Like tap into what do you need? So Mm -hmm. that's the way that I look at it. Yeah. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I've actually had a lot of people with a similar response. And I think that the conversation at large is slowly beginning to shift in that direction. It's not this list of five items with face masks and pedicures at the top. It's it's really more intuitive and it's more emotional and more aligned with mental wellness as well. So yeah, for sure. What's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear? Uh, probably I don't know if I wish it would disappear I just think it's silly all these like face rollers and stuff I've never tried it and it might be amazing I'm just always like I'm never gonna sit there and roll my face like okay full transparency I have two of them in my freezer (laughs) I have no idea if it works I don't even um I don't even use it daily or weekly but to me it is that little wink of self-care sometimes I think it's just that placebo of who knows if this is working or not but I feel good it feels good on my face and it just yeah, it gives me that pleasure in the moment. And so that's why I do it. It's so not by the book at all. But I, I love that you said that. It's really good. I, I'm not really that bothered by it. But that's the first thing that came to my Yeah, like, no. Simply, Say it. Yeah. Do you have a signature dinner party dish? So if somebody calls you up and is like, we're having a barbecue, get over here or a dinner party, what are you bringing? Buffalo chicken dip. Oh, someone else said that. I can't remember oh, who who it was, but yeah, do you make yours? Is it homemade or do you buy it from the store and then put it in a pretty dish? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah? The best buffalo chicken dip. Amazing. I love buffalo chicken dip. So what do you pair with it? Is it tortilla chips or veggies or something so else? My boyfriend actually likes Ritz crackers with it. Oh. So we actually just had it this weekend. We did Ritz crackers. I do baby carrots and tortilla chips. Ritz crackers is a nice compliment because they're a tad sweeter than like a Trisket or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um, what's one book or resource that's changed your relationship with either food or your body or just mental wellness? Ooh, so I would say as far as like mental wellness, um, this book that I literally have sitting on my Get out. <laughs> it's so funny. So there's a whole series of these books. Um, the Language of Letting Go. Yeah, so this is The Language of Letting Go, but the other books are called um, Codependent No More. And so this is called The Language of Letting Go, Daily Meditations on Codependency by Melody Beatty. And, you know, really codependency is just this idea. And it's something that a lot of people that have alcoholics in their life struggle with or addicts and even people that don't have any addiction in their life. Can still be codependent, but 
Codependency just makes us think that we need all these things that are outside of ourselves, right? And totally. So doing that work has been really helpful in my sobriety and just my own mental well-being in general. Thank you for sharing that. I've actually not heard of that series before, and it's it it's sounds like it's fitting for um, – a lot of the things that I work on with clients as well too. So I'll definitely check it out. Thank you. All right. What's the last TV series that you watched or one that you would recommend in general? Um, I actually, so this is not the last one that I've watched, but I love Dexter. Oh my God. Dexter is so good. Oh, what a good throwback. Yeah. It's an old show, but we binged it probably like in the winter time. Cause we live in Maine. So yeah. Winter, you ain't going nowhere. Like, right. It's dark at 3.30. Mm-hmm. So we binged Dexter, and I mean, oh, my God, I love it. I've heard so many good things about it, and I remember when it was on, and I remember all these watch parties, and it was yeah. the era of watch parties. And, uh, yeah, I had so many friends that watched it. I actually haven't checked it out, so it's good to know. I always keep yeah. a running list. Awesome. Well, you are a gem and I appreciate you being here. Where can everybody find you if they want to connect or say hi or are interested in working with you either in your um, mentorship for sobriety or business coaching? Yeah. So probably the easiest thing is just to go to my website, Sarah Cook Coaching. And mm-hmm. of course, I'll give you that link yeah. to share and all that good stuff. Um, because you can find my, I have a free Facebook group in there. I'll have information about my sobriety groups, my blogs on there, my Instagram, you know, all the things. Perfect. That's probably just the easiest place to go. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And I, I appreciate you and just have loved this conversation so much. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Matt Iski, our show manager, Shayla Anderson. If you want to stay connected to the Modern Girl community and learn more about our show guests, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, throw a five-star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the Modern Girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.